you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. The 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 44. A portrait of salvation. A portrait of salvation. I have preached this message before in this church. And I wanted you to hear it again. Because I also have preached it in many other churches. And every church I ever went into, if it were a Bible conference that we were having or a revival meeting as such that we were having, I want you to know you as a church went with me. I did not go alone. And when I stood in the pulpit, I preached, I preached with my church with me. And it's important that you see that. And that's one thing I want to stress that you might understand the importance of it. The portrait of salvation. I have preached this message in Ashdown, Arkansas, July the 27th, 1996. I preached it at Bible Baptist Church in Rising Star, Texas. November the 1st, 1998. I preached it at Raleigh Springs Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, May the 6th, 2000. I preached it at Bethel Baptist Church in Lawton, Oklahoma, in October of 7, of 01. I preached it at Victory Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, 4-14-02. I preached it at Riverside Baptist in Manuel, Arkansas, June the 11th, 2003. I preached it at Landmark Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska on September the 25th, 2007. I preached it at Grace Missionary Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, October of the 5th, 2007. I preached it at Oak Trail Baptist Church in Granbury, Texas, October the 13th of 2012. I preached it at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. That's a good name for a church, isn't it? Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Rusk, Texas. My dear friend Wayne Thompson pastors down there. Uh, was, they probably run him off because of the message, but he, he's a good brother. At Rust, Texas, October the 31st, 2014. And then I preached it at the First Baptist Church in Independence, Kentucky on November the 19th, 1915. And I endeavor to share some of the thoughts with you here today because it's important we preach to people. We don't preach to numbers. We preach to people. And the people that come to hear God's man preach 
they come to hear God's man preach. And so we're so glad that you're here for this service. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 11, verse 38 through 44, we read these words. The 11th chapter, verses 38 through 44. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the cave or the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead lay. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. And because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead, don't you just love the past tense there? Not he that is dead, but he that was dead, came forth bound hand and foot and with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him. And let him go. Most of the 11th chapter of the book of John has to do with the Lord Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It was not an historical event only. It was not a parable. And it was not an allegory. It actually happened as the word of God depicts that it happened. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they lived in Bethany, and they were close friends with the Lord Jesus. When Lazarus was sick unto death, Mary and Martha sent for the Lord. And when he arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Mary and Martha both thought the Lord had arrived too late. Uh, I've got a message on the characteristic sidelights of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things about Jesus Christ that confirm his humanity. One is he never showed up late. Show me one time in your Bible when Jesus our Savior started to do something, but he couldn't do it because he had to wait on somebody. He never showed up late, and he didn't show up late for Lazarus' funeral. It was perhaps the greatest of all of our Lord's miracles. Now, while this is a story, and it's a true story, it also provides us with a portrait of how the Lord saves sinners and dear ones, he only saves them one way, by his mercy and by his grace. There's not a Methodist plan of salvation, 
and a Baptist plan of salvation and a Catholic plan of salvation. If a man's ever saved, you'll be saved by the grace of our God. And so we have presented to us a portrait of how the Lord saves sinners. That word portrait, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means a full-blown picture. It's not a snapshot. There are not four easy things you need to know if you want to go to heaven or five easy things you need to do. You need to get a portrait of how God saves sinners, how he saves all sinners because they're all saved alike as far as the grace of God is concerned. Salvation is not a once and for all experience, but rather a process which covers past, present, and future. The Bible speaks of a man who was saved, a man who is saved, and a man who will be saved, and it all happens to the same man. Take a moment, if you would, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 10. The Bible says this, speaking of Christ saving us, it uses a word delivered us. Now that's what salvation is. It is a deliverance. We are delivered from some things. Who delivered us? Now that's past tense. From so great a death. Number two. And does or doth deliver us. That's present tense. In whom we trust that he will yet de deliver us. When a man is saved by the grace of God, he has been saved. He is being saved, and he will be saved if he's saved according to the Word of God. Salvation has a past tense, and it means deliverance. That's what Jonah meant when he said salvation is of the Lord. Do you remember why he said that? because he had tried every imaginable way of getting out of that whale's belly, and it didn't work. And he wanted deliverance. And he finally said, salvation is of the Lord. And if a man's ever saved, he'll be saved by the Lord and by the, no one else. It means deliverance. Deliverance from the penalty of sin. Deliverance from the pollution of sin and deliverance from the presence of sin. I so love Philippians 1.6 where the Apostle Paul puts it this way, being confident of this one thing, that he who hath done a good work for us will keep it going, will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. The sinner's salvation began in eternity with election. Before he was ever born, before he was even a human thought seed, my dear friends, it pleased God to save some people by election. He selected those 
whom he would have mercy upon that Christ would die for and the Holy Spirit would quicken and everyone for whom he did that will come to know him as Savior. We're, we're not in a business where God's trying to do anything today. You might try to do some things and fail at it, but I guarantee you if God puts his hand to do something, it will be done. And it always is that way. So let's look at several phases in the raising of Lazarus. Let's look at the portrait before us. First of all, and I haven't forgotten about the barbecue. Okay, all right. A portrait of total depravity. A picture of total depravity. The Bible teaches us in this passage of John chapter number 11, verse 14, that Lazarus was dead. Now, as the Lord Jesus was relating that, look at verse number 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Did you know that's a difficult statement to convince people of? Even when it happens, there's something so traumatic about it. There's something that many, many times has no earthly answer for. And we have to say it over and over again. Lazarus is dead. Every person who's born into this world is born dead, spiritually dead, in trespasses and in sins. Lazarus was dead. The disciples thought the Lord, since he used the term asleep, that he was taking a nap. And the disciples... They were Baptists, by the way. They said, oh, if he's taking a nap, he's getting along better than we are around here. All we do is go to church and we do this and do that. He said, no, I'm not talking about him going to sleep. I'm talking about him dying. Jesus Christ made it clear, Lazarus is dead. And so is every sinner apart from the grace of God born dead in trespasses and in sins. We have a propensity to do that which is wrong. We have a propensity to lie when we could tell the truth. It is the most natural thing in the world to go against God rather than to go toward God. Did you get that? Lazarus was dead. Dead people are unconcerned about life. Have you ever noticed? unconcerned about life. When's the last time you heard a dead man complaining about the weather? Or complaining about the Dallas Cowboys losing a game? Uh, they did, they, they're quite satisfied, I can assure you that. They're not concerned about the things of life because they're dead. And so it is, spiritually speaking. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse number 40, Christ said, you will not. Would you please, if we, do we have any free willers here today? All right. If we do, forget it. It'll make you sick and should make you sick. You will not come to me that you might have life. Christ said that to some people. Now we go to the fortune tellers. We go to the tarot cards. We go to the 
people who know what the future is going to take place and what it's going to do. And we, we go to the, we go to our doctor, we go to our attorney, we go to every, but we won't come to Christ. Why? Because it is only in Christ that we're going to have life. Only in Christ that we're going to have life. So dead people are unconcerned about life. True of every corpse in the cemetery. If you've ever been out to visit maybe one of your loved ones, and that's a good thing, nothing wrong with that. You've been out to the cemetery to visit one of your loved ones that God saw fit to take earlier in life than you. And have you ever just talked to them? Have you ever said, say, y'all kind of cold down in that grave? No, they're not cold down in that grave. They don't have anything to say. They're unconcerned about things. And isn't it strange that people who do not know the Lord are so unconcerned about the Lord and the things of God and the things that really matter? Dead people not only are unconcerned about life, they're utterly helpless. Utterly helpless. It means the Catholic Church can't help them. It means Baptist Church can't help them. It means mama's prayers can't help them. Even if she does sing like angels up in heaven. Ain't nobody can help a dead, spiritually dead man, but the one who said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that cometh to me, and so forth and so on. So dead people are also utterly helpless. In John chapter 6, verse 44, no man can come unto me except. He gives a divine exception to a rule here. No man lost in his sins can come unless he's motivated and pulled and quickened by the Father. And those are the only people who will ever come, who will ever want to come because of being dead in trespasses and in sins. Lazarus was corrupted, and I'll, I'll breeze through this as quickly as I can. What do you mean Lazarus was corrupted? Look at verse number 39. Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. That's what you call corruption. He stinketh for he's been dead four days. Spiritually speaking, church, the only thing that a sinner can do is to stink. Because he's dead in trespasses and in sins. Lazarus was corrupted. His corruption was extensive. You read about that in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. You read about that his corruption was obnoxious. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In everything we try to do that would merit salvation is filthy rags in the nostrils of God Almighty. Makes it very clear. Just as there is a vile odor among the dead, our sins are a stench in the nostrils of God. It's called unrighteousness. 
So Lazarus was dead. That's a portrait. That's what dead people do. They stink. That's what dead people do. They have no life of godliness, none whatsoever. And they cannot earn it and they cannot work for it. Let's look at the portrait enlarging itself. There's the portrait of regeneration. Something has to happen if a man's going to act like he's alive. He's going to have to be given life. And that's what regeneration is. When you were born the first time, you were given physical life. When you were born again, you were given spiritual life. Not based on anything, Nicodemus, that you do. He that's born of the spirit is the spirit and he's born of the flesh is flesh. But you must be born again. Regeneration. How do you know that? Look at verse number 43. When he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. (laughs) I love it. Lazarus! Come forth. Why Lazarus come forth? Because he's the only one that God wanted to come forth at that time. And had he not called out a particular name or had he met other people as well as Lazarus, the whole graveyard would have got up and marched out. But he said, Lazarus, you're dead, but I want you to come forth. Lazarus must be given life before he can walk out of that tomb. The sinner must be given life before the gospel makes sense. The Bible doesn't make sense to the unsaved man. It's foolishness unto him, according to the book of Corinthians. Lazarus' call to life was particular. Lazarus. Lazarus. Only one was raised and the rest were left. Now, I know there's been some Baptists there who said, you know, God's just not fair. I mean, come in here like he did and, and raise Lazarus. Well, why didn't he raise my mama? And why didn't he raise my dad? Because he didn't want to. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that the God of heaven is a sovereign God and he does exactly what he wants to do when he wants to do, how he wants to do, and he doesn't have to call in the preachers and the board of deacons to check and see if that's all right. Are you you with me? Okay. So his call to life was particular. If you're saved, my dear friends, God called you. God spoke to you. He spoke to your heart in a spiritual way. In an effectual way, only one was raised and the others were left. Second of all, Lazarus' call to life was effectual. Guess what? It worked. Now, I don't know. I've often heard, and the funerals that I've preached, and I've preached them by the thousands, I've never actually seen this happen before, but one preacher told me what had happened And it happened, and it happened to be in a black congregation. Now, don't call me a racist. Hear me out before you do, all right? But it happened in a black congregation. And as the preacher was preaching and using flowery language about how God loves everybody, God's going to raise everybody, and uh, the, the, the black 
man's wife came over to the coffin and looked down into the coffin and said to her dead husband, Honey, rise up so we can know you're alive. To which the black preacher on the pulpit said, In case he does, that's my wonder I'm going out. He's not going to get up. You know why? Because he's dead. Deadness has a way of producing a very bad effect. Lazarus' call to life was effectual. It worked. Guess who came walking out? Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley. No, Lazarus. <laughs> He's the one who was dead. And God raised him and not anybody else on that occasion. Lazarus' call to life had no cooperation. Our salvation is not dependent upon our contributing to the Lord and doing what God wants us to do because we're dead in trespasses and in sins and we cannot do that. God does not need your cooperation, my dear friends. Matter of fact, he did just real well, I think, in creating the heavens and the earth and I don't believe he called you into conference, did he? He's a God, he's a sovereign God. Get off this idea that God is kind of helpless and he's got gray hair now and he can't do what he used to do and God wants to do this and God wants to do that. If you just please, oh, please let him. I preached, didn't preach. They should have let me preach, but they didn't preach. Didn't let me preach. I went to another church here in Tyler, Texas, a Southern Baptist church, and the preacher got so caught up in trying to help sinners he said, God, won't. He, you just hurt Jesus' feelings when you don't come to him. And I thought, my soul and body, when did the Lord degenerate into that? Lazarus called to life, had no cooperation. Lazarus, come forth, and he did. That's, that's a portrait of salvation. A portrait of conversion. Look also in verse 43b. When he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, saying, Lazarus, come forth. Whereas regeneration is like conception, conversion is like birth. It's like a coming forth. And there'll be no conversion without conception. And there'll be no conception apart from the quickening power of the Holy Spirit to give life to a dead sinner who could never do anything to achieve that position or to have that gift. It's a portrait of conversion. James 1.18 says, Of his own will beget he us. What does that mean? Of his own will he brought us forth with the word of truth. Lazarus' location was changed. And this is important because there's some people today believe, who seem to believe, that in order to be saved, you just accept Jesus as Savior. And on down the line, you do, you grow in grace, and then all of a sudden, you accept him as Lord. Listen, if he's not Lord of your life, He's not savior of your life. He cannot be part of anything, my dear friends. He's the whole thing. He is the Lord Jesus Christ.
Christ. You receive him as Lord and you receive him as Savior. His location was changed. In Romans 6, verses 1 through 2, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Man cannot do that. Why? Because he's been changed. Lazarus had been changed when he got out of the inside of that grave. His location changed. And then his conduct was changed in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. He did nothing in the grave. But I tell you what, when he got out of the grave, he had something to do. All right. And then you see a portrait of sanctification. The Lord said, loose him. Loose him. We don't need bound Christians today. We need Christians who know what Christian liberty is all about. Living for the Lord Jesus Christ and being able to do so because of the occupancy of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's a portrait of sanctification. The grave clothes must be removed. Why? Because he'll not need them any longer. Well, what are you going to have the grave clothes around the house for? Oh, I just want to remember what I was. Oh, you'll remember what you were. God has a way of calling that to our attention. In Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, Put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. His hands were bound, his feet were bound, his eyes were bound, his mouth was bound, and he was loosed. All of the shackles holding him were dissolved. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And finally, there is the portrait of glorification. Chapter 11 doesn't end with chapter 11. It just plunges right into chapter number 12, does it not? What happened in chapter 12? Lazarus was glorified. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 of John, let me read it for you. Then six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead. He, isn't that wonderful? He's making it clear that we understand he had been dead. He wasn't a zombie walking around, all right? He wasn't a ghost, not a figment of one's imagination. Here's a man who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Who'd they make it for? Lazarus. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table. With whom? With the Lord. Sitting at the table with the Lord. In the grave one day. And sitting beside the Lord Jesus Christ the next day. Only God can do that. That's God's grace. And it involves a bodily resurrection in John chapter 11. Verse number 25. Christ is talking with one of the sisters. 
And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou? Do you really believe that? Yes, certainly I believe it. That one day I'm going to be glorified with a glorified body that will be conditioned to live in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. And you say, well, what about taxes? You won't be paying any. I know one man in Washington, D.C. is going to break his heart when he finds out you can't pay taxes. And his name Biden. You're welcome. It involves a bodily resurrection. In Romans 8, 22 through 23, talks about the redemption of the body. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Did you know that the graveyard is going to be one of the busiest places in town? I often wondered, Dan, what would you like to be doing when the Lord comes back? I'd like to be visiting out in the graveyard. Because everybody's going to come out of the graves. God's people are coming out of the graves. I said God's people are going to come out of the graves. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? We're going to see him as he is. Glorified body. Christ was the first one that Lazarus saw when he was raised. When he came walking out of that tomb, first person he saw was the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said, I can hardly wait to go to heaven so I can see mama and so I can see daddy. Nothing wrong with that, but there's somebody more important up there than mama and daddy. And that's the Lord himself. And I will forego the reading of Revelation 19, 5 through 9. Thus our salvation will be completed and consummated. If you have received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you've received him in your heart of hearts as your Savior, you've been saved. As you grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're being saved. Every day you live. And when you rise one day to meet the Lord in the air, you will be saved because he's coming for you and he's coming for me. What a beautiful portrait and what a beautiful picture. You've been so kind to listen to this awkward preacher today, but I hope that you found hope in the message and hope in the Savior of the message, who said to Lazarus, Come forth. Let us stand.